the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. So Mordecai is the guy at the end of the story who becomes promoted, and he becomes the chief official next to King Xerxes. He's the guy that becomes honored. Mordecai is the guy that becomes celebrated. It's, it's about Mordecai now, and it is because of God's grace. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Esther. All throughout the book of Esther, we see God's providence. God knew that Haman was going to try to kill all the Jews in the kingdom. And God set up specific people in power in order to stop him. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching through the book of Esther, he'll be reminding us that even though God doesn't speak in this book, He is extremely present in everything that takes place. There may be times in your life that God seems silent. But take heart. If you're His child, then He's actively working on your behalf. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Esther chapter 8. For part one of today's message titled, Turning the Tables. Esther chapter 8. Now before I read, it's only 17 verses, I'm going to read the whole thing. I, I couldn't figure out a place to jump off, so we're just going to read all of 8. But before we read, let's just get the background where we are heading into chapter 8. So at the end of last week, we talked about how Haman, this wicked, evil, anti-Semitic Persian noble, initiated this plot to annihilate the Jewish people, and he got King Xerxes to sign off on it. Now, shame on King Xerxes. He didn't read the fine print. He didn't ask questions. He didn't know who, what exactly the people group was that Haman wanted to kill, Uh, Nevertheless, he gave his signet ring to Haman. Haman sealed this edict and made this edict uh, effective for the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar on the Jewish calendar for the extermination of the Jewish people. And God working behind the scenes providentially, that's what the book of Esther is all about in, in many ways, had already orchestrated things to get Esther, a Jew herself, to become queen of Persia. And so she has this strategic influential role whereby she then speaks into the ear of King Xerxes, her husband, and exposes the plot of Haman. Now, this is a very risky move on Esther's part. She could have been killed for this, 
But nevertheless, she takes the bold and courageous move of wanting to do what's right as, you know, for such a time as this. And so she exposes Haman's wicked plot. Xerxes is so enraged that he has Haman hanged on the very gallows that Haman had built for the Jew that he hated the most. Haman hated Mordecai more than any of the other Jews, and he had hoped to hang Mordecai on those gallows. Instead, as we're going to see here in, in the closing chapters, God has put a few things in reverse, and he reverses things. And so what ends up happening is that Haman ends up being hanged on the very gallows he had built for Mordecai, and Mordecai ends up taking Haman's position. So that's, that's what we're going to see happen unfolding here as we notice together that, that God in these last few chapters is providentially going to turn the tables in, in three very important ways. And I want us again to look at these chapters through the lens of biblical typology. Now, we talked about that term last weekend. It's just a big fancy word that means that there are some things in the Old Testament that are intended to not only be real for the context, but also to foreshadow or symbolize something in a greater context, particularly Old Testament things that may point to New Testament principles or thoughts or ideas. And so we're going to see that here in the closing chapters of the book of Esther. They point, in fact, to three important things related to our lives as Christians. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to see how these things are important to our own lives even today. So here's chapter 8. Let me read starting at verse 1 down through the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. That same day, meaning the same day that Haman was executed, that same day King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from, from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which she had devised against the Jews. The king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it is right to do, the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and, have, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Silvan. And they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people, and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatchers with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city 
the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. So again, in these last closing chapters of the book of Esther, there are three great examples of what I'm calling three great reversals, where there were things that seemed hopeless and helpless, and that God intervened behind the scenes to rearrange things and to reverse the order of things. And the first one I want us to look at is Mordecai's position. And again, as we look at this I want us to look through the lens of biblical typology because Mordecai's position gets reversed here and it says something about our own Christian lives and the way that God is at work with us. So for you note-takers, Mordecai's position becomes this great reversal. By the king's grace, Mordecai was welcomed into the king's presence and was given favor, a new identity, royal robes, the king's signet ring, and a crown. Remember that early in the book, Haman was the big shot. Haman was the one who was promoted as chief noble among the Persian nobles, second in rank to King Xerxes. Haman was the guy that the people honored. Haman was the guy that had the king's signet ring to issue that first edict. Haman was really the guy that was being celebrated in the first part of the book of Esther. But in a dramatic reversal here, Haman is now dead. Haman has been executed on the gallows he had built for Mordecai, and Mordecai has been promoted to Haman's place and to Haman's position. In fact, it even says here in chapter 8 that that King Xerxes gives the estate of Haman to Esther, and Esther in turn hands it off to Mordecai. So Mordecai gets Haman's position and Haman's property. I mean, you talk about how dramatic is this. The guy, Mordecai, who was destined for death and destruction if Haman's plan had succeeded, it is now the guy who has taken Haman's royal position as chief noble in the king's court. In fact, it tells us if you glance over to chapter 10, look over to chapter 10. There's only three verses in chapter 10. But all of chapter 10 is really about how great Mordecai ends up becoming here. And verse 3 of chapter 10 tells us that Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. So Mordecai is the guy at the end of the story who becomes promoted, and he becomes the chief official next to King Xerxes. 
He's the guy that becomes honored. Mordecai is the guy that becomes celebrated. It's, it's about Mordecai now. And it is because of God's grace. I want you to notice the similarities between what happens with Mordecai and what happens when I, with us when we become followers of Jesus. So here's the backdrop. Mordecai ends up serving in the king's court. He gets royal robes. He gets a crown. He gets the king's signet ring. Notice how he is promoted here, and it is promotion by grace. Okay, King Xerxes didn't have to promote him. King Xerxes could have said, well, thank you very much. Thank you for, you know, exposing the earlier assassination plot against me. Thank you for being Queen Esther's older cousin, her adoptive dad. Thank you very much for your role in helping it behind the scenes. Xerxes was not obligated to bring Mordecai into his royal court and give him a crown and royal robes and the signet ring. He did it exclusively because the king was just showing favor and exercising grace. And Mordecai comes into the king's court, and he gets adorned in this royal way here. Now, again, in verse 15, it tells us back here in chapter 8, verse 15, that he left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. So, he even gets new threads out of this gig. I mean, he, this guy is being completely promoted and celebrated now in the king's court, and it's all because of the king's favor. God intervened here, and he took a man who was destined for death, and he gave him life. And more than that, he gave him royal position in the king's court, and it was all because of grace. Now, if that story sounds familiar to you, it should, because if you know Christ as your Savior, this, in effect, is what God has done for us, okay? We didn't earn or deserve the right to be in the king's presence, but God, our king, by virtue of his grace, bestowed favor on us through Jesus, his son, and now he, he invites us and ushers us into his presence that we could spend eternity with him. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But by his grace, he has opened up the king's court for us, and he has robed us, the Bible says, with robes of righteousness. Let me just kind of make the comparison here for you. The Bible speaks about us in Christ as also being adorned with royal robes. Did you know this? In fact, in Revelation 19.8, it says that when Christ returns, he will adorn the saints with fine linen, bright and clean, given us to wear. And Isaiah even saw this in advance in Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. The Bible speaks about the royal position that God will promote us to, if you will, in his presence. He bestows on us the privilege and the right to be in his presence, to be adorned with robes of righteousness, to have royalty bestowed on us as kids of the king. Listen to what 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says. 1 Peter 2 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does God say about us? He says, I am making you a royal priesthood. I am bestowing upon you the promotion of royalty because I am saving you and redeeming you and my favor is upon you all because of my grace. This is what God does for us. So the Bible in typology 
gives us this picture through the life of Mordecai where similar things happen with us. By grace, our king gives us this position of royalty, adorns us with royal robes. And how Mordecai, it says here, was also given a crown. Do you know the Bible says that there are five types of crowns that God will distribute to the saints? When we go to be with him, five different types of crowns. Here's one example. 2 Timothy 4.8 talks about a crown of righteousness. Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not for me only, but for also all who believe and who long for his appearing. So 2 Timothy 4.8 mentions the crown of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 9.25 mentions an incorruptible crown. Revelation 2.10 talks about the crown of life. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 talks about the crown of rejoicing. And 1 Peter 5.4 talks about the crown of glory. That God, on this day, when we stand before him, because of what Christ has done for us, will hand out crowns. Now, I don't know which one you might get, all right? And I know it's not a contest. You know, can you just imagine people in heaven like, what's that? Oh, that's a crown of rejoicing. I have the crown of righteousness right here. That's what I have. It's not going to be that. And by the way, by the way, even after we received various crowns, get ready to toss them at Jesus' feet. Because Revelation chapter 4 says we're going to be so enthralled in his presence that we will lay down, fall down at his feet, and we will cast our crowns at his feet in his presence. So we're going to just feel so undone. We're going to be like, why am I walking around like I'm somebody special? We're going to be throwing our crowns at the feet. The only thing you're going to have left on your head is hat hair, right? That's all you're going to have left is just, you know, the look like you used to wear a crown, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so did you, didn't you? Then we throw it all down at Jesus' feet. The signet ring. Mordecai gets a signet ring from the king. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. Now it is God who, were, who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now check this out. It says there in 1, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 22. He set his seal of ownership on us. You look up almost any Bible commentary, and it will say that that's another way of referring to a royal signet ring, where God has impressed on us his very impression that signifies we belong to him. And he has given us of his spirit that is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, you put this all together. Mordecai, given royal position, Royal robes, a crown, a signet ring. The Bible says that in Christ, he makes us a royal priesthood. He adorns us in robes of righteousness. He is going to give us a crown, and he has placed his seal of ownership on us. Do you see the similarity here? Do you see the biblical typology? So the the takeaway from Mordecai's position is this, that he is a picture of our life in Christ welcomed into God's presence by God's grace and given favor, a new identity, royal robes, and a crown. That's in store for us. And all because God has brought about this great reversal from the condition that we were in before we came to know Christ to this wonderful position of favor by God's grace in his presence for all eternity. The second great reversal we see in the closing chapters here is on a, on a larger context. Okay, so Mordecai kind of symbolizes the, the life of the individual whose life gets redeemed in Christ, new position in Christ, new identity in Christ. 
the Jewish people here, their, their whole condition changes. So that's the second great reversal. The Jews' condition gets turned from a death sentence to a life status. Okay, remember, Haman gets King Xerxes to sign off on this edict that all the Jews should be annihilated. Esther then, at, at a great risk to her personal safety, exposes the plot. Haman gets executed. Then it tells us here in chapter 8, we read it a moment ago, that Esther then makes this second request of King Xerxes. And she says to him, King, I got, I got a second request. Because the edict that was issued by the king under Haman's evil plot is still in effect. And they are quickly approaching the day that the Persian army has been ordered to go around slaughtering all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire. So Queen Esther makes the second appeal. She says, with all due respect, king, you're going to have to revoke that, that edict that you signed off on because all my people are, are going to be killed. There's a problem. And if you know anything about ancient history, and this is true about Persia, the Persian Empire at this time, when a king issued an edict sealed by the king's signet ring, it could not be revoked. It could not be repealed. It was a done deal. The only thing that the king could do was to enact a second edict to counter the first one. And that's what he does. He says to Esther, with all due respect, sweetheart, I can't revoke, I can't repeal an edict in my name with my seal. What I can do is I'm going to issue a second edict that will negate or counter the first edict. So here's what the second edict is. The second edict that he allows Mordecai to write and to seal with the signet ring, basically says this, that the Jews are free to assemble and to bear arms to defend themselves. So he's like, I can't stop the Persian army. They're going to they're gonna come on the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar. What I can do, though, is I can pronounce this order that all the Jews are free to fight and defend themselves, take up arms and defend themselves. Now, by the way, this would make a great Bible study on the Second Amendment, but I'm not going to go down that path, all right? But, that, but nevertheless, I mean, this, this is, this is self-defense, right to assemble, right to bear arms. It's right out of the Constitution. But anyway, that's for another Bible study. So here's the deal. He says they can fight, and fight they do. So the second edict goes out. They take up arms. They fight. Look at chapter 9, first five verses. Chapter 9, verse 1. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. Okay, that's the first edict. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now, look at this great reversal, the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. And then verse 5 says that the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now, we'll pause there. If you read through the rest of chapter 9, here's what we find out that the death toll is pretty high. But the death toll is among the Persians. That when you add up all the numbers 
the Jews have defended themselves to the toll of more than 75,000 Persians who died. More than 75,000 Persians. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been taking us through the book of Esther, the story of a young orphan in a foreign land who was made queen and then used by God to save the Israelites. This book is such a great encouragement when we face hardships and trials. Was today's message encouraging to you? Do you want to share it with your friends? Today's teaching and a collection of other messages can be found on our mobile app through our podcast or online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find so much information on our website, including companion resources from Pastor Gary to dig deeper into his studies on a variety of topics. We'd also invite you to check out the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to invite you to join us for weekly services. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to dig deeper into God's Word and worship Him for all He's done and is yet to do. Find directions and service times at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. We pray you feel God's presence in your own life today as you draw closer to Him. Join us again for more on Esther's incredible story right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.